0: What would you do if you saw something that completely defied your understanding of reality? Would you embrace it, be fearful of it, or dismiss it altogether? As much as we may like to confine our experience of reality into a nice, neat little package, there are occasions in which we simply can't. And maybe we'll ask, what is really going on? Well, if there's anyone who can break down all of the possible explanations of the weirdness of reality, it's Cynthia Sue Larson. Called the quantum optimist, Cynthia lends the perfect blend of scientific discovery with an imaginative and lucid insight that says all things are possible. With what you're about to hear, you may want to reconsider what reality is truly all about. I am so delighted to welcome back one of the show's favorite guests and one of our newest regular contributors for higherjourneys.com. That's the quantum optimist herself, Cynthia Sue Larson. Cynthia, thanks so much for coming on the show at such short notice. Right, <laughs> How are you? <laughs> How's doing everything great. going? Good.
1: Well, I just had that great conference last week, but I'm um, still, as I say, coming, you know, off the high from that, but it was fantastic, foundationsofmind.org, and uh-huh. wonderful conference with Henry Stapp, lots of great consciousness researchers, uh, fields from many different disciplines.
0: Excellent. So, yeah, I know you were busy. Now, did you speak at this, or were you part of the organizing committee, or both?
1: Both, yes. I was part of the organizing committee, and I spoke at this conference as well. I was speaking about complexity science and the way that it intersects with some of the quantum phenomena that we observe.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, we're certainly going to be interjecting your your quantum perspective on uh, the, what we're going to be talking about today. So I want to get right into that. And I, I knew you'd be the, the go-to person, Cynthia, on this, because I'm, we're going to talk about a couple of stories. Uh, and and let's, let's get into that. You, you and I... Uh, spoke yesterday, we had albeit a brief but as always a deep and intriguing discussion uh, about a subject that I'm going to dub anomalies of reality. Now, as I was listening recently to one fascinating account, which the audience is going to hear shortly, I have to tell you, this is one of the most bizarre stories I think I've ever heard in all my years of fringe research. And it's a story told by none other than Jordan Maxwell. Many of you know that name. He's one of the, the top fringe researchers, I think on the planet. After I heard this brief story, I began to think about other such reality-bending scenarios that I'd heard, particularly recently. And so another one of them, which the audience will hear as well, comes from a recent interview I did with author and motivational speaker Diane Bischoff James. But before we let the audience listen into these original accounts, I want you to set up, Cynthia, the framework for this discussion. I mean, we're talking about events and experiences that just don't fit within the so-called normal confines of reality. What we're talking about is essentially a plastic or malleable reality, a fluid reality. Give us, if you would, a general overview of how reality can be so flexible and literally defy the rules of what we call classical physics, and then we're going to get into the accounts themselves.
1: Right. Well, one important aspect to keep in mind is that through the history of humanity, there have been those called shaman and those involved with seeing other aspects of reality, what you might call the true nature of reality. And others have called it, such as Henri Corban, called it the imaginal realm. Uh-huh. And so when you get into that area, that's what I'd like people to keep in mind, that sometimes we can see into that imaginal realm. We can see what you might call the the operational aspects of that are sort of the behind-the-scenes working of reality itself.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Okay. The, uh, interesting that you you brought up Henri Corbin. I, I am familiar with his work in the imaginal, and I, you know, as I was sort of pondering what we're going to be hearing shortly, I I, I don't know that I thought of. Uh, well, <laughs> I, I don't want to talk too t- tip my hat too much because I want the audience <laughs> to hear it, but imaginal realm that that's something that I definitely would like to bring into the discussion because I hadn't thought about it uh, in that regard as I was listening to these accounts. So let's get right into this first account, as mentioned. This is a story that was recently told by uh, alternative researcher Jordan Maxwell during an interview he did just last month in April on uh, the Sage of Quay radio show. In fact, uh, I'm going to put a link to the interview so you can listen to this great episode in its entirety. But for now, take a listen to this short account that Jordan describes as it was told to him by someone who witnessed what I'm going to call a delayed impact. Let's listen in.
2: I got a friend. Who was uh, working for uh, I don't know the sheriff's department, the police department, forgot exactly what it was. He was working for the state and, and law enforcement. But he was telling me, and I don't know where it happened. This, this was a story quite a while back. But he said that he was standing in the, uh, by this big high-rise on the street, and some guy was up on the roof working on this high-rise, maybe you know, maybe 30 stories high, and fell off. And he said, I I didn't know he fell off. I'm just standing there. And he said, when the guy hit the concrete right there near me, I happened to be facing where he hit. And he said, when he hit the concrete from falling 30 stories up, he bounced about eight foot off the concrete. Once he hit it, he bounced up. And then when he was coming down after bouncing, he collapsed on his feet. I mean, he stood on his feet and he took off his gloves and said, damn it, something to that effect, damn it, (laughs) and uh, took off his gloves and then instantly collapsed into a pool of blood. But for a moment, he took off his gloves, realized what had happened and said, damn it, and then completely collapsed into bones and, 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 and blood uh as you you can imagine you thought that's what would have happened immediately no it didn't happen immediately yeah for a second or two he was still together knew what he had done took off his gloves and said i'll be down something like that and then collapsed into a blood blister on the on the sidewalk i mean that's strange stuff
0: wow bizarre indeed strange indeed you know you and I spoke a little bit about this specific account just yesterday and you made some very interesting assessments about how something like this could be possible in a plastic or flexible reality Cynthia give me your way in on this and then I'd like to throw a couple of theories out to you that maybe you could shed some light on as well
1: okay well the first thing to keep in mind is this is Obviously, an out-of-the-ordinary experience uh, mm-hmm. in the sense that most of us, at least I, I think, have not experienced anything like it, mm-hmm. uh, myself included. And I've seen a lot of weird things, but this um, is way past the level of anything I've personally mm-hmm. witnessed. Having said that, it's, it it does seem to me to be representative of, as I said before the clip played, this, this sense that sometimes we can get a glimpse, the observer, whoever it is that witnessed that, horrific experience um, because it, it's pretty grisly ending but for a moment there um, where the, the bounce occurred and mm-hmm. then landing on the feet and then just having a few words to say it seems like reading into um, a hope or an expectation or maybe a dream or a feeling that that person might be wanting to to do you know like as they're falling they might wish like i wish i could bounce like a ball mm-hmm. i wish i could land on my feet and then this is what I'd be saying, you know, those four-letter, you know, expletive deleted remarks. But that's certainly called for in the circumstances. <laughs> <Like, laughs> yeah, to say the least. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty upsetting. So It is. It so is. in a sense, it seems like the witness is observing what you might call the mental state of the person who's experiencing the fall and who mm-hmm. who would wish that they could bounce, wish they could land on their feet, wish they could say something. But then it 's like everything collapsed to what collective consensus reality would call for in such an experience mm-hmm. and so a case could be made that if our consensus reality could include such things as um, you know weightlessness as people flying through the air anti gravity kind of things, then we could have it and you know up until the time that we can consider such things real. Um, then if you fall from a building, then there's not going to be any such solution at hand would be the expectation. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, it's interesting that you focus on the witness's perspective, because that, that was the probably the first thing that I pondered as I listened to this. Uh, could it be that it was the eyewitness whose brains, bra- brains <laughs> brain processed this event as delayed? And I, I stress processed. In other words, did he experience a different reality or even a superimposed reality? Uh, when in actuality the tragic event happened as most would expect it to, death upon impact after you know falling. Absolutely. And that is yeah. where I'm,
1: that's exactly where I'm going that's what with that. Yeah. Now there's a great author, Don Hoffman, who wrote a book on visual perception that I reviewed you know about ten, thirteen years ago. And now Donald Hoffman is coming into the forefront of the field of consciousness by explaining that when we sense things Uh, it's very much as if we're seeing things that aren't real, that what we're seeing is, in fact, very much like an icon on a desktop, like Mm -hmm. we would expect to see on the computer. And you can actually, if you're having a hard time believing something like that, you can just acknowledge the fact that the way that sound and light arrive in our minds, in our brains, Mm -hmm. um, they come in at different times, yet we... Our brain somehow is able to coordinate all of these inputs and treat it as if it's incoming simultaneously. Mm-hmm. And furthermore, the work of researcher Benjamin LeBay or Lebèt um, proved that we often can have awareness of of sensation in our body before there's any way that we should be able to sense it so there's definitely something going on with our sensory perceptions reality and our mind and it's not the the way that we would expect that the whole system works Uh there definitely seems to be a lot of interplay allowing for this this glimpsing of this imaginal realm this perhaps deeper reality so that the witness is actually able to see what the person who's falling or perhaps also the witness would wish. But then there's this collapse to the the collective conscious preference of reality. And I do bring this up because in my research with reality shifts and quantum jumps, it absolutely makes a difference when there's a prevalence of people um, whose wishes are pushing a result in a desired direction. This is called EPR steering, and it was suggested by Schrodinger, you know, the physicist, that you could actually influence the effects of the Schrodinger's cat in the box.
0: Mm -hmm. I'm familiar with that somewhat, yeah. So I guess, could I surmise that that the event as it was described by Jordan, did not necessarily happen. In other words, could it have been, he didn't say whether there were other people, I would imagine there would have to have been another person or or several around. And and of course, if so, we didn't get that testimony. But could it be that, or I guess what I'm asking is, could we rule out then possibly that it didn't actually happen that way universally? but only in the processing of an individual witness's, you know, brain process? Um, or could we even, let's we, not that it's any more bizarre, but could we uh, imagine that the whole of reality was bent as this person, you know, uh, plummeted but bounced? And what, what would you say of other people? let's just let's let's make some assumptions let's assume that there were several other people around and that they witnessed the same exact thing just for argument's sake
1: yeah I, and, and that's quite an assumption to make what i do notice quite often for example with reality shift experiences such as synchronicities um, miraculous changes people things appearing disappearing transporting transforming is that sometimes you do get people agreeing with um with what they believe occurred and that's a wonderful thing when that happens for those of us who experience these reality shifts because actually it's really nice to have people (laughs) who agree with you on what just occurred but we're getting increasing amounts of evidence that alternate histories do exist which indicates uh, increasingly to me that a lot of what we experience, although we wish that it would be shared experience, to some degree, uh, often it may be shared, but it may be shared with some other aspect of your of ourselves, that it seems like our consciousness itself is experiencing a multitude of possible realities at the same time, mm. and when you feel like you're scattered, it's quite possible. You literally are scattered. For example, when I've been daydreaming, I've been noticed to be bilocating at those times of daydreaming. Really? Yes, so elaborate
0: on that if you would. That the bilocation subject is also equally intriguing to me. Talk about that a little bit.
1: Okay, so uh, first time it occurred that I'm aware of was when my daughters were quite young and I, I had just gone through a divorce. They so I was alone with them in the house and needed to wake them up. It was a cold morning, I didn't feel like getting out of bed, and so instead of getting out of bed the way I knew I should, I started like sometimes people do, imagining that I got out of bed, imagining I walked down the hall, imagining I flipped on their lights said, good morning girls, time to get up, like I always did, walked over to their window w- with the shade that's way too heavy for them to do anything with, gave it a tug and made it sure it went all the way up so the room was full of light, and that was my daydream. So I'm daydreaming that, and, um, and I'm just sort of thinking, wow, I really should get out of bed. A few more moments pass. And then I hear voices from down the hall, and I think, wow, they got themselves up, that's unusual. And then there's more and more noise, then a pitter-patter of little feet, and then they come into my room, and then my daughters say, Mommy, what are you doing back in bed? And that's my first clue, something is really weird. (laughs) (laughs) like what do you mean back in bed now i have not moved i mean it's the air feels cold it's like i don't want to get out of bed and now i think okay um you know what do do you mean and i said did i you saw me you heard me in your room and they said yes i i i just find that impossible to believe so i at that point i'm I'm a little concerned so i stood up like who was in their room so you know i'm a protective mother walk down the hall look in the room the lights on the window shade is all the way open properly. Believe me, they could not do that. This was a an ornery thing to to
0: <laughs> to deal
1: with. <laughs> and I said, I was in here? And they said, Yes. And that was the first time that occurred. It it did happen again. Um, another time I was daydreaming, this time at a, a book event, much more recently in the last ten years. Yeah. So I was supposed to be at a book event and I was there. But it was a really nice day outside, and I could see through the windows what a nice day it was. I saw trees and clouds, and I started daydreaming that I was walking down a street that I love to stroll down in Berkeley, and it's called Solano Avenue, beautiful street, they, you know, lots of cute little shops. So the daydream didn't have much to it other than I was just enjoying the sunshine and walking along the street. And I sort of snapped out of it uh, as soon as someone came by to talk about the books again. But then when I got home later that day or the next, I got an email from a friend who said, Cynthia, I thought you were supposed to be at a book event in Concord this weekend. I said, yes. And I wrote back, yes, I was. Why? And she wrote back, I could have sworn I saw you on Solano Avenue.
0: And I wrote back, what time was this? (laughs) It was exactly (laughs) the same time. (laughs) That you were having the daydream. Yes. Wow. Well, you know, I say wow. All of these things fall in the wow factor, the wow category. But now we're getting into... You know, as we talk about bilocation, and by the way, everyone, these are all what we would consider anomalies of reality. Uh, the the idea of bilocation—you don't hear it talked about too much. Uh, those of us in in the field uh, certainly have heard some accounts of it, but but when you think of, particularly the two stories that you just shared, you also can't help but think of uh, out of body experience, and and could that have been somehow incorporated into uh, your your experiences? Were you perhaps, I mean, we could talk about teleportation. I mean, there's so many other little um, factors that come into play when you're when you're talking about this sort of thing. Could you have literally left your body while you were in your bed, talking about your daughters and going into the room and waking them up and pulling the shade up, and they're seeing you? You know, it was uh, Robert Monroe, I believe, that spoke about uh, at great length uh in in his work in out-of-body travel, that how how he was able to affect other people's uh, perception and and they could see him as he was going about doing whatever, whether he was coming into their home or whatever. So all of these things have to be taken into account. Um, Let's throw the imaginal realm in there. Andre Corbin. (laughs) Where does this fall in with all of these things? Now we we get a whole kettle of fish here to to look at.
1: Well, with this field of consciousness, it really does, to me, tie in closely with what we're noticing with quantum phenomena. And I, I do bring that up because I'm not claiming to have found the quantum paradigm, which is like the Holy Grail for physics. When they find that, then... They will probably also have the theory of everything, where you can tie together, <laughs> you know, the the large-scale ph- phenomena and, and, and principles and forces operating in the cosmos with the very, very small. But we don't quite have it yet. What we do have is mathema- mathematical equations that work quite well, well enough that we can create nuclear power plants, nuclear weaponry, and we think we know what we're doing. That was fine, but we're about to move into quantum computers and at that point, we actually do need to know what the logic is. And, it, I mean, that would serve us best if we could figure that out so that we understand what we're creating when we create artificial intelligence with quantum computers. Uh, because it would be nice to, to be able to control that to some degree or to have some degree of security on such a system and to know what the interaction with consciousness actually is. Those things we don't have quite pinned down just yet. So we've got theories and we've got various interpretations such as the holographic interpretation that david bohm came up with yeah i love that one i love that yeah because that shows that everything is all as one and then you've got various variations of multiverse theories which are made famous by hugh everett the third talking about the many worlds interpretation a personal favorite of mine that also few people seem to really know about but it's the transactional interpretation by one of our living physicists john kramer Mm -hmm. up at University of Seattle, Washington. That's a handshake through time and space. And it's the way that all of physics can be explained on the quantum level that way, which I think is brilliant. Mm
0: -hmm. So
1: those are three of my personal favorites. And just like California cuisine, sometimes we have what you might call a Thai burrito with Thai food and Mexican food. Mm -hmm. (coughs) And I kind of like to do that with these interpretations (laughs) because to me, there are some good ones here. You know, I really love... The, the holographic model the way it ties everything together is one yes. and i also also love the multiverse i love to have the multiverse in the hologram so that there is a oneness but at the same time you can go exploring it through all these multiple possible realities that Henri corban tends to indicate with that that whole idea of the imaginal realm
0: mm-hmm. hmm. okay I'm thinking of these these interpretations and how, again, going back to our first story, they might um, offer some uh, framework for how such a thing could occur, even if it were just in the uh, in the brain of the eyewitness or in the eye of the witness, I should say. Um, I don't know. What, What do you think? I mean, are we talking about some what what type of a quantum theory? would it might make this possible if we haven't
1: time already yeah i'll have to be honest with you and say that currently there isn't really a set way to tie consciousness in with quantum physics other than i mean some people try and you've got the penrose hameroff model of you know the orchestrated or theory which is um, microtubules in the brain but that doesn't really, I mean, to me, still it's, it's just pointing different directions, and still we haven't solved the actual problem within physics itself. So that's tying physics into the brain and saying, okay, here, the consciousness can happen here, and you just point at microtubules. But the trouble is, even if you do that, we still don't really know what the heck is going on here, mm. and, how, and how does this tie everything together. So that piece of it is still, you sometimes hear the phrase, the hard problem of consciousness, Mm-hmm. and to me that's that hard problem is not really solved it's like how do you make consciousness tie in with quantum physics and you can kind of press it together and it's like a puzzle piece that you force in the puzzle and say it fits but to me it's well i think we're looking at it wrong i think you know there's something about consciousness itself we know when we're conscious but as yet within science we have no way to measure it no way to really test for it no way to predict its presence absence or change and so until we can do that, we're out of our depth, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and these, these questions that you're asking, which are wonderful questions, what did that observer notice and what others have noticed the same thing? I would hazard a guess that different people would notice different things. Right. Um, you might be able to get to a point of coherence where the, the observers are in synchrony, like a flock of birds, and that they do recognize something happening similarly. That mm-hmm. can happen. It does happen when that level of entanglement of the group is pretty strong Mm -hmm. these are quantum phenomena these are quantum attributes that we're describing here
0: right absolutely
1: that's one way to look at it
0: well somehow i think there's a common thread uh, even though we we haven't been able to find words to put on (laughs) what that common thread is to to that that take all of these things into account and we probably have in a sense touched upon this but in terms of you know the, the whole idea cynthia of Reality perhaps being a simulation, i e, the matrix. Um, y- you know, if that were to be the case, would would that not make situations like this far more plausible? A simulation. I mean, I'm literally talking about a virtual reality here.
1: And this, this, okay, and that's one, okay, that's one way to call it. And then the other, the flip side of that same exact coin, it's the same darn coin, you flip it over, and then you're looking at what I said Donald Hoffman is calling it. He is at the University of California, Irvine, and he studies visual perception and the mind and consciousness. And what he's noticed is that, the way we receive information is not what is really out there. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. E- all of reality is as if it's just like icons in a desktop. We don't need to know when you throw something in the trash on your computer what exactly is happening. You don't need to know how input-output registers are changing and what's happened with the machine language. And what data store has just been dumped? You know, that's way too technical, and it's totally irrelevant for you. All you need to know is you put that file icon into the trash icon, and voila, it has been disposed of. But um, and, And that's basically what Donald Hoffman is saying is going on with all of our senses all around us all the time. And so that's I like that approach, because instead of assuming that we're living in this sort of... There's an assumption made when you call it a matrix, when you call it a holodeck. It sounds like someone constructed it. And when you look at it from the flip side, this side of saying, well, you know what? None of our senses are real. Everything we're getting information about is, is just an artifact. It's just right. yeah. like if we're not really seeing the way things truly are. Right. right. I love
0: that. I love that. I do that, too. Okay. So I think that, that um, sort of the, the, the words that I'm using, simulation, virtual reality, and matrix, are somewhat akin to what... This gentleman is saying uh, so many different variations. of. I think we're really kind of driving at some similar themes for sure. Well, Kate, okay, you know, let's I want to now uh, have the audience listen into this next bizarre account. And this was recently told to me in my interview with Diane Bischoff James. Now, I want to preface this by saying that my talk with Diane was more focused on the dynamics of uh, manifestation and reality creation through innovative and fun practices. It was a very upbeat chat. But at the end, I asked her to share a story with our audience that she told me a couple of years ago, when we were together sitting in a restaurant, just talking and trading stories back and forth. As a matter of fact, Cynthia, we were in uh, San Mateo, sorry to say San Francisco, San Mateo, California, for the new Living Expo. That's when we met. And that's when she told me this story. Uh, And this is... You know, this is somewhat of a, a dark story as well. Uh, it truly falls into the high strangeness category. This is what I will call an actual shape-shifting event. Listen to this.
3: I saw something that
0: I was, you know, it wasn't
3: until I had this experience that I really, um, I'm open to everything on spirituality. I'm open to everything metaphysical. I'm open to everything in the in this plane of existence. But it wasn't until I had this experience that it really, um confirm that there really is as much as there is a lightness there also is a darkness and that that's the part that was interesting to me um i had an uh one of my relationships when i was single um was with a person who had a very 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 strong active addiction and uh, it's one of the favorite stories in the book but um he he took me from this place of lightness and manifestation and positivity and growth to looking at the darkness of life that i've never ever seen before it involved everything from you know, getting arrested. Um, he was incarcerated. He um, he had huh. he had things happening to his body that were just horrible, and it was all because of his addiction and because of all the 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 terrible things that went along with that addiction. But once. Um, he went to his mother's house, and his family was, um, had a very strange dynamic. The mother was very strong, very controlling, and they, too, probably were participating in, in other addictions. But he went out to go fix something, and uh, he was in the backyard, and his mom made him come back and said, you've got to fix our telephone system. So he tried. He went out. He was an electrical engineer. He actually had multiple masters. Hmm. He was brilliant. And he came back in, and I was out there with him in the yard. And I said, "Are you an electrician? Are you a telephone guy?" And he goes, "No." And I said, "Then how are you going to fix this?" He's like, "I don't know, but my mom said I had to." And I'm, this is a 44 year old man. And I'm mm-hmm. like, "Okay." Well, I sat there watching him for a while, and then we, we came in back into the kitchen, and he goes, "Mom," um, and she was just sitting there, and it was kind of like back dark room, dark kitchen. It was almost you know five or six, and it was going getting to be dark outside, and she had one light over her head. And she snapped her head and she looked at him and she goes, how dare you? And I swear, her entire face turned gray. Her eyes turned black. I saw blackness in the center of her eyes. And it was as if her skin turned a color, like the color of death. It's the only color I can think to describe it. It's like that sallowy, whitish-gray color. And it was as if, weirdly, like she was possessed almost by an entity a creature a serpent i don't know what it was and i just stared at her because i'd walked in the door he looked at her i looked at her and then in less than you know like another couple seconds it all went back to looking like this older woman who was very sick and had like a lot of veins on her face so kind of the blood came back and i i just stood there in the doorway and i thought i think i've just seen something that's not of this world
0: okay there you go Now, um, the idea of shape-shifting may not be too unfamiliar to many in the audience as we've discussed subjects like uh, the ET influence and more specifically the reptilian influence in the past. So this is, I don't think, completely foreign to a lot of folks listening, Uh, but certainly, uh, and, and I should say certainly the subject has been discussed in many fringe and alternative circles, but it's still somewhat unsettling and perplexing. And I'd love to get your weigh in on how you think something like this, an individual shifting their appearance right before your very eyes could happen. How is this so? Are we talking about something similar here?
1: Yes, and again,
0: (laughs) it's very similar to what I said on the
1: last one as well. This Uh. is a different situation entirely, but again, here we've got shape-shifting, and this is the realm of what shamans have spoken about for millennia. Again, and if you read a book such as, The World is As You Dream It by John Perkins. You actually can read about similar, well, not exactly similar, but um, you can read about experiences of shape-shifting in that book where he actually um, went through customs with things that he should have been contraband as you're going through an airport. And conveniently, those things that were totally inappropriate in an airport, I think it might have been arrows or something, transformed into something innocuous, once he'd cleared security, then it transformed back. So hmm. that was a modern day example of shape shifting. But the sort of thing that, that happened here, uh, again, it sounds like more like the X Files or something. It sure like, does. <laughs> yeah. What is this? Yeah. Very, very creepy. Uh, so, um, and it, but, but I, the other thing that I'd say that's reminiscent of the first clip you played again we're looking at what i would call the imaginal realm and seeing into a deeper underlying reality and i i, I hesitate to say anything negative about that unfortunate and you know, it's a really terrible thing what happened with that whole family and I, my heart goes out to them and mm. dealing with substance abuse is nothing um to laugh at and you know there for the grace of god go any of us actually. that's right that's right but, uh, but obviously uh, there, something was going on and I don't know what that was exactly. But when, when Diane's sensing like, wow, you know, the, the eyes changed, there was this change in the skin, gives me that, oh my gosh, my hairs are standing on end. You know, yeah. just thinking
0: about it again. It's like, oh gosh. Yeah, it's a little creepy. And yeah, <laughs> not, not as uncommon as we might think, you
1: know. Right, so. right. So when you, when you recognize that what Diane might've been seeing was the other, Uh, This inner aspect, if you will, of perhaps the mental place that this woman was coming from or what you might say was running the show, you know, the consciousness that was directing that that woman's um, speech and words and attitude and demeanor and energy and everything. Mm -hmm. And so what Diane's actually seeing is kind of like the operator running the puppet behind the scene, you know, it's like that Mm. is... That's the real spirit at work here.
0: Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I, this story, as is, is bizarre as it is, again may seem to be a little bit more familiar, even from a from a, a, a cult fiction standpoint. I mean, you think of The Exorcist and the the classic possession, if you can use those two words together. Again, not funny at all, but uh, you, you do think of the, the the famous movie, The Exorcist, in which. Uh, Linda Blair plays the, the the possessed young girl. And again, you see a physical shift in her um, her her eyes, her expression, and of course, her voice. So um, I guess you could, if you wanted to, if you had to put it in a bucket, put it into a more classical uh, possession um, or possession phenomenon. But, you know, here's a point I want to make, and I want to get your way in on this. Um, I have heard quite a few stories that, broadly fall into this area of what we would call shape-shifting, particularly um, when they're described in similar to the way Diana's described them. And you know, Cynthia, it seems that emotion plays a very curious role in these sort of physical transformations. I've heard of this before. In fact, in my interview recently with ET researcher Barbara Lamb, she spoke of a similar situation where one of the hybrids and the ET hybrids that she interviewed uh, in her book she co-wrote, Meet the Hybrids. Uh, She talks about um, one of the hybrids witnessing another so-called hybrid shifting their appearance into a reptilian form. And this, by the way, wasn't brought up in a negative sense. It was just seeing this transformation with this other person's eyes, clearly. What would you do if the beloved pet you had to put down only months ago suddenly showed up at your doorstep? or you had a dream that your animal companion told you they would be returning to you. Hi, I'm Alexis Brooks, and after having my own amazing animal return experience, I've put together a compelling presentation called The Evidence for Animal Reincarnation, Clues, Characteristics, Confirmation, that include miraculous stories just like mine that happen to real people just like you. You'll hear powerful accounts of animals returning to their owners after they've died. You'll find out if you can actually Actually encourage your lost pet to return to you and ways to learn whether they already have. Take a deep dive into the historical beliefs around reincarnation. Learn about synchronicity, intuition, and even dreams and how they all factor into this miraculous phenomenon. To learn more about this unique presentation and to purchase your copy, visit higherjourneys.com forward slash animal reincarnation. That's higherjourneys.com forward slash animal reincarnation. And maybe you too will witness the return of your animal friend that you've been so longing to see. You're listening to Higher Journeys Radio with Alexis Brooks, and now back to our program. I think you're making a very valid point
1: about the, you know, the different ways that this is viewed, and shape-shifting is perfectly appropriate. I didn't mean to say that this was definitely a case of, um, you know, exorcism. Um, need to call in the exorcist. <laughs> yeah,
0: but in some cases it might. I, you know, I, yeah. I think we're just talking about the pheno- the phenomenon broadly that Broad- that that yeah. the that it's possible that we live in this plastic reality that will allow for such things to happen. But again, the emotion point—that's the thing that I've always found quite interesting. I mean, let's look at. Um, certain religious practices, you know, and I I recall as a child uh, attending, we never belonged to say the Pentecostal or some of the really, really uh, devout sort of um, Baptist uh, denominations, religions, um, in which you will see an individual in church during service start to speak in tongues and it, it starts with heavy emotion, it ends with heavy emotion, but transformation takes place. And I always thought, hmm, why do I think that emotion plays some role in whatever the transformation is, whether you're moving into speaking in uh, this, this language that no one's ever heard or physically changing your appearance. So somehow emotion seems to be a trigger. Was,
1: Absolutely, yeah, yeah and I notice it in terms of getting into what you, what athletes would call a flow state, you know, and I think it may be similar for people who are speaking in tongues to get into that flow state where they get their analytical mind out of the way, and it feels like you're running on more pure spirit energy, more pure, you know, just this sense of, you know, being alive, and then it feels, uh, it can feel like a rush, so I think, I think that's a commonality perhaps. Mm-hmm you know, between, you know, accessing that level of awareness, and I I do some of that when I work with clients, I I sometimes can get into, I would prefer to go into a higher state of consciousness, which is what I like to do, to to raise the level a bit, rather than, you know, there's no need to go into the angry, or uh, those kind of emotional energies that take, you know, form perhaps, as what you might call a reptilian hybrid, Mm -hmm. but, but what, instead, what I'm preferring to access would be more of the angelic realms, and those are more easily accessed through love, through sense of joy, and you know what you might call higher emotions. But I, I think it's interesting that, that if you saw that movie Inside Out that Disney put together, that was done on the work of a researcher uh, who has done a lot of work with facial micro and he's doing a project with the Dalai Lama that the Dalai Lama funded for three-quarters of a million dollars to yes. to map the continents of emotion. There are five major ones, and it's a world peace project that he's doing. And Disney got wind of it and said, hey, those five emotions could be useful. And that's how they came up with the Inside Out characters, you know, basically showing anger and joy and fear and disgust and I think that was most of them, but, you know, sadness. I think there we go. So when you get those those global emotions that really are global, they're not cultural. That was the original assumption that mm-hmm. there's some difference, but there isn't. And those are gateways. You know, each one of those five major continents of emotion can take you places. So if you're choosing to go with joy, then you're going to go a different, to a different destination than mm. you
0: would
1: if you're traveling on fear.
0: Ah, that is interesting. And that is very relevant as you, what you just said, that the emotion that is brought up seems to be the entry point or the gateway to whichever reality you will end up experiencing. Literally,
1: I think that's
0: fascinating.
1: Yeah, emotions are keys. They're the keys that open those doors. You're right. And you can you can test it yourself when you try to remember something from your own memory. Uh, it can be very difficult to access certain memories unless you're in a similar emotional state. Mm-hmm. And sometimes smells can bring us to that emotional state. They can act like a prompt, and then you, and from there, then boom, you're in the whole uh, memory.
0: I would think that all senses could could play some role in that. I think of. Uh... Hearing someone's voice or, or even seeing somebody that looks like somebody else that you never oh, met before would also, you know, all, all of the physical senses, I think, uh, have the potential of doing that. That's, I, think, I think
1: smell is one of the first ones that came, comes online in the human brain, so it's… Yeah. It's so primal and it's because it's so pre-verbal. That's one that people can relate to, but you're right. They all can.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it amazing how, you know, we're talking about anomalies of reality, everyone. And, and yet uh, I I think Cynthia hit upon something that um, in order to experience much of the strangeness of reality and, and strange, not necessarily being bad, but just being not the norm. Um, the emotion I think we've kicked, hit on something it seems to be the the uh possible impetus or can provide the impetus for the the reality and I, let's take this all the way back to the first clip that we heard with uh, uh, Jordan Maxwell talking about this eyewitness because I, I have a feeling he is very key in this scenario um again in that he perhaps the emotion Imagine the emotion of of witnessing or or the um the act of witnessing somebody taking a plummet like that and the emotion that would immediately arise as this person is descending of what word what adjective could we use just absolute uh fear i, I just just shock um yeah, and that right. that that emotion being a very very condensed energy could have perhaps opened a gateway to an alternate reality so he didn't see what he what was going to be inevitable immediately.
1: Yes, so there'd be fear, disgust, and um, and sadness, and mm. surprise. So it's uh, sort of a blend of those.
0: <laughs> yeah. 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 And, you know, so there's something else, another term that kind of comes to mind when we're witnessing what we think is a certain uh, reality uh, or during an encounter, let's say, It's a term that Mary Rodwell, another fabulous ET researcher um, and regression therapist has uh, used, and that is screen memory. And that's when you're witnessing something that is so out of the norm that your brain once again or something is causing you to screen it with something else. Have you heard Mm -hmm. that term before, screen memory?
1: Yes, and I think it's an interesting one because it it makes me or it brings to me the idea of remember that we today we've been talking about by location mm. and so it's it's interesting when you look at experiences of experiencing simultaneous multiple realities like I have personally witnessed, and mm. I think that a lot of I think a lot of us do actually, but it hasn't been we don't have that buzzword going for it as screen memories. But I, I believe that this phenomenon occurs quite regularly uh-huh. and, and that this quantum logic, this quantum process is all around us all the time. What you might call the matrix or the plasticity of reality, these are similar ways to look at the same thing. Uh-huh. And absolutely, yes, there's something going on for sure. When we have a screen memory, it's basically, it's the brain's way or the mind's way of coping with the fact that we've got so many perhaps simultaneous concurrent realities that, that would create a schizophrenic viewpoint. Mm-hmm. And we know we know that's crazy. So therefore, we can't hold that many simultaneously. Mm-hmm. We shut some down. And this is what you would see in a computer processor. You know, when we I think when we start getting quantum artificial intelligence running, we'll be seeing exactly this very thing happening. Mm-hmm. Where there will be a superposition of states attained, the computer, the the artificial intelligence will be cognizant of many superpositional realities and instead of holding all of them, it's going to be selecting one so it can interface with humans and talk about one outcome. Because, you know, right now humans are not yet aware that we too are probably experiencing
0: more than one reality at a given time. Right, right. I think that is just a, that's just a, a what word would I use? Just phenomenal uh, possibility that we're g- constantly just, uh, uh, What do I want to say? Just vacillating between one reality and another without our even realizing it. I I think there's something very uh, uh, relatable to that. I I can relate to that. Um, Anyway, I don't know. My mind's going. I think I'm (laughs) traversing is the word I wanted to use. I think I'm traversing a few different realities at the moment. But before we're going to we're going to cut this a little bit shorter today. Uh, but before we close out, I want you you and I talked offline and I said, would you Now you've already shared a, 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 quite the bizarre uh, by location story with us. But Cynthia, if you could share one other little bizarre or high strange account that you have w- witnessed, uh, I'd love for you to share it with us.
1: Yeah, we did talk about one. I just want to make sure I'm picking one that you
0: want the most. So no, we, what, what okay. are you feeling like you want to tell? Oh my gosh. <laughs>
1: You've yeah, for me really, it's such a oh, there's so many, and for me it's an almost daily occurrence. So, which is nice because after 17 years of researching it, it's doesn't it's not so startling and almost um, terrifying at times. Now it seems more normal. Like well, of course, you know. Hmm. Reality is plastic. Things move. This happens, of course. But, um, well, I think one that that a lot of people contact me about a lot is um, bringing people back from the dead, actually. It's one of the, you may think that's odd, but that's probably the, I get the largest number of emails related to that very topic because they've read um, about, in my book, Reality Shifts, where I describe an experience where, my uh, previous roommate's cat ashes that I'd gotten to know and love because I lived in the same apartment with my roommate Catherine for many years and then when I moved across the street I continued to see the, the cat ashes because he would come across and visit um, in the backyard garden where I was renting um, a house across the street mm-hmm. so it was all quite normal um, until one day um, I I noticed it had been a few days since I'd seen Ashes, and I was hoping he was all right. So I I I called out to Catherine. Catherine, you know what is is Ashes okay? I haven't seen him recently, and she just looked so. She looked like I'd gut punched her, and she said, "Oh, he died. He was hit by a car," huh. and I was devastated. You know, I was like, "Oh man, that's terrible," and I didn't think much more of it. Um, but then a little while later. I was in the back garden. Well, I mean, obviously, I would wish he hadn't died. I hadn't seen him get hit by a car, so I'm, I'm, I'm pointing out these things because I think they are relevant. Anyway, I was in the back garden, and one day, um, Ashes was there. He, he sort of he was walking a little stiffly, and his fur didn't look as well kept as usually he'd be fastidious. Really clean, he'd he'd just lick himself until he was shining all over, and the fur, kind of a gray and black, and some tips of white color combination, Um, kind of like the leopard kind of cat Mm -hmm. with stripes, but beautifully um, made out. But he seemed a little, almost greasy, you know, sort of like he was kind of getting a bit decrepit a little bit um, arthritic, so he would move with a little hitch in his giddy-up, you know, so to speak. (laughs) But but the thing is, I was just so happy to see him, I could not believe it. Because I remembered, or I thought I remembered, uh, that's the other funny thing. I I felt like there had been a reality where Catherine had told me he'd been hit by a car, but here he was. He's alive. And so I I, I double-checked it with my husband and i said look you know here's ashes do you remember and this this often happens too where you refer this incident to someone else and they they don't quite know what you're talking about like well of course he's fine he's right here mm-hmm. but then they start some if you keep if you press the matter they might start remembering like wait a minute i think i did hear you tell me that he had died so right. it's a very interesting experience huh. and again you know we talked about emotions today that i believe that's such a key for experience any any kind of change in reality this plastic reality and it really does help uh, you know for me i think the love i felt for ashes was integral in his returning in my experience of um, then next experiencing a reality where ashes uh, maybe something had happened to him but he was alive you know i don't think he could have been hit by a car because that would have killed him and maimed him he wasn't maimed he wasn't hurt he was just kind of creaky, you know. It's like yeah. a sort of like a, an injured ashes.
0: I have to tell you, as soon as you started talking about ashes, just guess who just walked in? Oh, <laughs> Cloverpaws must have heard us. isn't yes. that something? Well, uh, um, hi, Cloverpaws. I'm not done yet. I'll be off in a little while. I have to ask you the, the ashes story, and I do recall you vaguely telling me that story before. But um, with so. Let's let's look at a couple of things here. We have a few more minutes. Let's. I want to get into this just a, a tad more. Your husband witnessed Ashes as well. After he vaguely recalled being told that Ashes was hit by a car, correct? But he saw him with you. Yes. Did uh, how long was the did the appearance? occur and did you see ashes again after that
1: well i saw him many times after that really it, from yeah from then on it was a, it was as if he had never been hit by a car and he just lived out i mean he, he was kind of getting decrepit though he didn't live like years later he maybe it was um almost a year you know months later but but still for me that was wonderful because i just wasn't ready for him to be gone you know mm-hmm. I, when you love someone, whether it's an, a pet or an animal or a person, it's there can be quite a strong connection, and right. they still felt a strong connection.
0: Right, that's something. So my question to you is, Cynthia, given that there's uh, really no complete line of demarcation between one version of reality or the other, what do you think, that being said, but also uh, that one may be more valid than the other? What do you think was the virtual reality, simulated reality? Did, were you daydreaming, do you think, that your friend told you that he was up by a car? Okay, or this is you, a good
1: question. Or, yeah, yeah, in this
0: case, what what I'm
1: really saying is that when we experience different realities, I'm this is not so much an example of a virtual where we're seeing something that isn't quite real, but we're glimpsing into the, you know, if you will, the puppet master pulling the strings. Instead, this is the way nature works. Anytime there's any kind of a a genetic mutation, which can be for our benefit, um, anytime a plant photosynthesizes, there are quantum processes happening in nature every minute of every day in very warm, wet, noisy environments And so, in other words, living beings, animals and plants both, are choosing between superpositions of states as if they know what they're doing, as if they can see all of the possibilities and they're routinely choosing ones that are either most advantageous or most interesting. Mm -hmm. And I would say that is what's happening. So, I I think, you know, at the same time, was that, is anything that we're ever sensing real or is it all the icons on a desktop? I'd Mm -hmm. say it's probably, it's all icons on a desktop, So, you know, given that, however, the truth is that um, what I was witnessing there is that superposition of states, that there were a couple of possible realities, and I think due to the love I felt for ashes, it just felt like, no, that can't be true. I didn't know I was doing that, but I just felt such a strong connection to the cat, and it's the only example I've currently had in my life of someone coming back from the dead. I do have a lot of, I get, I can't tell you how many emails I get from people who really want to bring back a loved one. Mm-hmm. It's extremely common. And they, they get hopeful. They've seen my YouTube videos and such. And what I need, what the thing is, I do believe it's possible, but the state of detachment required, you actually have to get to a place of simultaneously uh, expecting that the only Possible good reality is the one where your loved one is back at the same time as you're completely detached.
0: Right. So, so uh, yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. Yes. You
1: have to be like a yogi master at this.
0: Right. Which is and most of us.
1: To, yeah. yeah. So it's just like someone coming into a, a karate classroom and they want to be like Bruce Lee. And they want to do it in three steps. What are the three steps to be like Bruce Lee? It's like, well, you need to kick, punch, and block. But um, actually, it's uh, <laughs> this may take more than an afternoon or a few weeks. <laughs> right. so, and that's kind of the state where we're in. The good news is people are realizing this can be possible. And so that means we can get meditation masters who can start bringing back the dead. Now, is that a good thing? I'd, I'd say it's only good in the sense that it's the best for all concerned. You know, I'm not advocating black magic here. I'm just saying this is the way the world works. And we're already doing it. Um, so, we can become exceptional humans by learning to work with this plastic reality in more exceptional ways.
0: And, you know, and I think that's why I I wanted to have uh, this kind of conversation. I mean, you know, look, some of the topics that we bring up on Higher Journeys Radio can be a little, I use, probably overuse the word fringe, maybe even a little dark. But at the end of the day, Cynthia, what we're trying to do is show the breadth and scope of reality and how we are integral in uh, forming reality, um which is a, a magnificent thing so i hope that this conversation uh has helped a little bit in that regard fascinating stories both of them so well listen before we go i want to let you all know again that cynthia is now one of our expert contributors for higher journeys you can check out cynthia's articles by simply going to com. and in fact she just posted a great piece on guess what Alternate realities from a quantum perspective. As always, she gives great insight into this still very new and uncharted territory. So make sure you visit higherjourneys.com and read her latest entry. And also make sure you go to her home online, which is realityshifters.com. So between the two, I think we've got you covered on the anomalies. A reality, alternate realities, from the quantum optimist herself, Cynthia Sue Larson. Cynthia, thank you so much for for joining us again on such short notice. And oh, thank
1: you. It's such
0: a pleasure to talk about all this with you. I love it. you know, we can we can do it a lot. We, we'll be doing it again soon, I'm sure. So so thanks again. I appreciate you. How good can it get? This is Cynthia's signature question and an inquiry into the depths of reality that clearly has no boundaries. With what you've just heard, I think it's fair to say that the reality that you think you know may just be a figment of your imagination, what we call real, maybe just the tip of the iceberg. I encourage you to look deeper as you consider these ideas. And I also encourage you to check out more of Cynthia's great research at our home online, higherjourneys.com, where you can find some great articles, news and views on all things alternative. Thanks as always for tuning in to Higher Journeys Radio. Until next time, I'm your host, Alexis Brooks.